everyone. Welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we explore timely and important legal issues and questions facing the farming community today. For community-based farms with a focus on sustainability, managing legal risks is especially important as many innovative farm enterprises like community-supported agriculture programs, on-farm suppers, and gardening classes, and unique arrangements for land access and employment do not fit neatly into our legal system, leading to vulnerability. But through legal education, we can cultivate greater resilience for your farm business so that you can continue to grow in ways that best support you, your relationships, and your community. At Farm Commons, we'll show you why and how. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Farm Commons podcast. Today, we're continuing with our Back to Legal Basics series by taking a look at one of the most fundamental aspects, legally speaking, of a farm business, the business structure. And I'm here today with our director, Rachel, to get into all of these exciting details. And by the way, my name is Eva, and I'm your host for the show. <laughs> hey, Rachel, how's it going? Well, it's going great. It's a beautiful August day, so I have no complaints. Yeah, for sure. Oh, gosh, I can't believe it's August already. The year has flown by. <laughs> um, well, yeah, really excited to get into business structures here today. I feel like it's it's both the most, to me, the most straightforward aspect of um, farm business law, but also not the most straightforward because it's technically invisible, um, much like all the other legal subjects, um, but something that is so foundational. Um, and I feel like we work with so many different producers and a lot of folks tend towards one business structure or the other. And so it's fun to see how um, things are trending in the business structures realm. <laughs> Exactly. I love talking about business structures because it's it's interesting. It's relevant to everybody. It has a few surprises, but at the end of the day, it's something we can take action on and it's not very difficult or expensive. Farm law does not offer us a lot of these opportunities to learn a few interesting things, take some easy and affordable action steps, and come out in a better position on the other side. So that for me is a is a real win and one of my one of my favorite topics. Mm -hmm. For sure. Lots of immediate actions to be had and taken here. And so let's get into it. Um, with the business structure for a farm business, we can really think of it like a blueprint for a house. And so the blueprint is, you know, in terms of building house, is the design for how the house is structured, encompassing all the many elements that make up that dwelling, and really laying the way for how those elements will relate to each other. And because of that, the blueprint both plans and predicts the home's functionality and stability. Two key things we definitely want in a house. And the same goes for the business structure for the farm. And how you listeners structure your farm business will really dictate its functionality as the farm grows through the seasons and the years, as well as the stability of the elements. So the owners, production, capital, revenue, assets, um, and others, and how those elements relate to each other and change over time. 
So really, the business structure is a powerful blueprint for creatively designing all farm businesses, no matter if you're doing um, you know, vegetables and fruits or flowers or raising livestock or somewhere in between or outside. Agritourism applies here too. Um, so I, you know, we're, we're talking about how exciting and great and powerful the business structure can be and is for the farm business. And of course, we're going to say that at Farm Commons because we are big time farm law nerds over here. Um, and we deeply believe that paperwork is revolutionary. But y'all, the secret is that really is the truth. The business structure can be a revolutionary tool for organizing your business towards your farm goals. And this is especially the case when folks are farming together cooperatively in pursuit of meeting shared needs and values. So whether you're a married couple or four family members or 10 friends who are all farming together, you have options here. Uh, you can choose to form a corporation or an LLC or even a cooperative. So yeah, there, there are choices here on the table and um, let's, yeah, let's start exploring, exploring what farmers and ranchers can set their tables with, Rachel. <laughs> Sounds terrific. We've got a few main options. So, you know, let's say if we've got uh, a married couple or we've got four family members or 10 friends farming together, you folks have options. What we're going to talk about today is the corporation, the LLC, and then the cooperative. Now, some folks are going to know, hey, wait, there's other options, isn't there? Like a limited liability partnership and or just a general partnership. Yes, true. You're right, there are other options, but uh, something like the partnership is not a good idea for various reasons we'll touch on. And other options like the LLP, um, you know, they're, they're just not that relevant anymore. Um, and it, it, it really does come down to these three options for farmers who want to uh, work together, whether they are family, friends, or strangers. So corporation, LLC, and uh, cooperative are going to be our focus today. So, but before we get there, Eva, can you tell us a little bit more about um, why we care about the business structure and the main benefit that it provides? Yeah, absolutely. Well, people tend to choose their business structure, um, you know, from the list of the ones you mentioned, corporation or LLC, for one central reason. And they're choosing those kinds of business structures because they want protection for their personal assets from business liabilities. Um, people use a few different phrases to describe um, this such as personal liability protection or limited liability. So the liability being limited to the business assets. But what it comes down to is really one thing. If the business incurs a liability like debt or a successful lawsuit against it, only business assets are available to satisfy that judgment. And the farmer's personal assets are not. And so that's really what uh, uh, business structures, you know, formal ones, and we say formal meaning like they are formed with the state offer. And the LLC, the corporation, and the cooperative are three business structures that provide that, that 
personal asset protection. Uh, general partnerships, like you said, Rachel, do not provide that protection and neither does a sole proprietorship. But if you're farming with others, you listeners, that really doesn't apply here because the, the sole proprietorship is really the business structure that you have um, when the business is owned by one person. So, yeah, there are other many other options like limited partnerships and LLPs, like you mentioned, Rachel, but those don't matter so much to the farmer these days, because in most cases, um, they and y'all are choosing from the LLC and the corporation and in special cases, the cooperative. Um, and with the cooperative, you know, many folks love the democratic premise of one member, one vote, regardless of how much money individual owners have invested in the business. And um, that principle is a is a mandatory element of the cooperative business structure. However, as we'll get into here in a minute, it's it's that principle is an option for weaving into an LLC too. So yeah, we've got those those three main options that we'll be covering the corporation, uh, the limited liability company and the cooperative and uh, Rachel and I will be exploring the blueprint possibilities for each of those structures. Um, and our hope is that for those of you who are working together with others to choose your business structure for your farm um, that that you will have greater insight into making the right choice for you. So Rachel want to kick us off with corporations. Absolutely. Corporations are a great place to start. Uh, they go they go way back, way back. I think like Columbus formed a corporation to, you know, sail to the new world. So uh, we got centuries on this one. By comparison, the LLC was only invented in the 80s and it didn't really gain the 1980s and didn't really gain prominence until, you know, the 90s and, and, and broadly adopted into the, into the 2000s. So for a lot of farms that formed their business structures Back in the day, they chose a corporation if they were looking to achieve protection for their personal assets. So now that's seen as a traditional option, and a lot of folks have one. Technically, corporations come in two flavors. We've got our C corporation and our S corporation. But I want you to set aside that for now. The C or the S has nothing to do with how we form it. A person forms a corporation with the state and they just form a plain old corporation. So that's where we're going to start. Plain old corporation formed with a state. We'll get to that S and C and tax stuff later. So starting with a basic overview, we've got some main benefits of a corporation. So that being yes, these offer protection for your personal assets from business liabilities. You can, you can begin to earn this protection simply by forming the corporation. Pretty easy to do. You just go to the state and file the Articles of Incorporation. Generally, that's handled at the Secretary of State's office. These days, it's usually online. Sometimes there's just a form you fill out. Super easy. Then give them your fee and, you know, bam, you've got a corporation. The problem that some folks run into is they assume that that is literally all you have to do to get the protection for your personal assets. And that is not exactly the case. There are some additional things that we need to do to make sure that that protection is gonna be there for us if we need it. First and foremost, folks need to then separate their finances. If we are going to act like, uh, or if we are going to request protection for our personal assets from, uh, from business liabilities, we need to know what's we need to know the difference. 
Like what are personal assets and what are business assets? It's crucial that we understand this distinction. And those of you who are saying, well, I don't have or don't want a corporation, I'm going LLC, pay attention, pay attention. All of this applies to the LLC as well. So this threshold step is to separate business and personal. Well, how do you do that? Which is which? We've got a nice document that most people who run a business are familiar with called the balance sheet. The balance sheet lays out what are the assets of that business. If it's not on the farm's balance sheet, then it's probably not a farm asset. It's probably personal, but we would need to talk about that. A balance sheet is something that a farm business already needs. You know, their banker probably asked for it when contemplating lending. We certainly need it every year to prepare taxes. So a balance sheet should be very familiar and uh, farmers should already have, um, you know, an interest and knowledge in what is going on that balance sheet. We come to the step when we're going to form an LLC where we might actually have to assemble a balance sheet at that time that is, you know, for the corporation. So this point of transition can, can cause things to become a little, a little awkward, you know, because it's like, hmm, I never, you know, you never had to think about that before when you just had a general partnership or a sole proprietorship. It's like, who cares, which is, which is which, it's all the same. But now we have to actually go through that process. So this matters again, because our, our business assets, everything on the balance sheet is gonna be available to satisfy business liabilities. Sounds scary. It is. We don't wanna lose all that. We don't wanna lose all our business assets, but that's why we have business insurance. So folks need to maintain that distinction in their mind. A corporation, just like an LLC, doesn't protect business assets. Insurance does that. It only protects personal assets. So again, for the most part, this is obvious. Um, you know, uh, your farm equipment, um, your farm supplies, your farm resources, all those are farm assets. They go on the, on, the, on the balance sheet. Things get a little tricky with something like a farm truck, but a farm truck that's also, you know, my grocery getter when I'm, you know, done with work for the day, um, you know, where maybe I go get a pizza in town with it. So it's, it's kind of both. A lot of times in that situation, we might maintain the, the farm truck as a personal asset, and then we would lease it to the business. And we would set some reasonable rental rate for you know, what that costs so that we're accurate with our accounting. So there, there are some you know, slightly more sophisticated things we need to think about when we're doing this, but it's all very doable. Now, that sounds attractive to some folks. They're like, ooh, okay, if I can keep a farm truck in my personal name, that means I'm shielding it from business liabilities so like, why not do that with everything? Why don't I just like own the greens washer, the $10,000 greens washer myself and then lease it to my business because then I can keep it and I don't have to pay for insurance on it. Uh, not really. <laughs> uh, a farm truck is reasonably used for two purposes. And we could say with a straight face that that was a personal asset. If I've got a $10,000 greens washer, it's gonna be a lot harder to say with a straight face that that is a personal asset. It's clearly only for the business. So we just use common sense. We use common sense. When we're farming together, 
we've got that point where we're going to sit down and talk about what we're contributing to the business in terms of assets. We're going to have to sit down and literally list out what goes on the farm balance sheet and its financial value. So we're doing this so that we can get to our balance sheet, of course. But then there's a second point, a second reason why when we're, when we're farming with someone else, why this process is so important. This is what it's going to help us determine our percentage ownership. Generally speaking, the more a person contributes to a business up front, the more they own of that business. And of course, the more they own of the business, the larger a say they have when important decisions come around. So let's say that me and a pal are going to go into farming together. Let's say I have that $10,000 greens washer of mine. And they, let's say her name is Sally, Sally has a $5,000 farm truck. If that's all we need, a greens washer and a farm truck, and we throw them on the balance sheet, it's, you know, I basically now, the starting point is I have two thirds ownership of this business and Sally only has one third ownership. So that means if there's ever a decision that needs to be made by majority, I get to decide. I am the majority. So that of course is a problem if it's a problem for me and Sally. What decisions get made by majority of the ownership? If Sally's uncomfortable with that, what we basically have to do is help Sally come up with $5,000 more to contribute to the business. Then we each contributed 10,000 and we have 50-50 ownership. Now to some folks that's uncomfortable, you know, like Sally doesn't have 5,000 more and I'm okay with contributing more and still maintaining an equal say in decision-making. That's totally cool. That's one member, one vote, just like a, co uh, a cooperative is designed to address. There is a possibility for us to write into our corporation bylaws that we get one member, one vote regardless of our contributions to the business. We could even say that Sally's going to earn more ownership over time and that we'll eventually achieve 50-50, but we have to talk to an accountant or a tax preparer at this point. This is not a DIY um, strategy. Uh, there are tax implications and there are more subtle uh, tax management options that we're going to need to deploy um, to achieve our outcome. So the bottom line is it's possible and this, this balance sheet stuff can be easy, but it can also get complicated. So find those, uh, find those business advisors, those tax accountants and those tax uh, accountants and tax preparers that can help you move through this process and get where you're going. For sure. Yeah, that was a great overview of the corporation's blueprint for the, the business structure. And what you shared, Rachel, really sheds light on what personal asset protection really means. Like the example of the farm truck, like it's reasonable that a producer will go and get groceries or drive over to family supper night um, while also using that same vehicle for the farm business. But I, I don't know what else I would do with a $10,000 green washer, if not wash greens for a commercial purpose. So really, really great example. Um, and in terms of personal asset protection, uh, that, that piece really can be a, a point of confusion for many producers and farm advocates and business owners in general, um, because there are ways to get creative, but there are also, of course, limits. Um, and they're just from 
working with lots of producers nationwide, I think there's some confusion out there on whether corporations are more burdensome than other entity options. And we hear all the time that um, LLCs are quote unquote easier and producers ask us all the time, is it true? So Rachel, wanna tell the truth? <laughs> Great question. There's definitely a common understanding that LLCs are easier. The short answer is that technically, technically, yes, they are easier. And I have finger quotes, hold up, finger quotes. But you got to stick with me for, the, for, for what I'm going to say next, because there's, there's a little bit to unpack here about this perceived easiness. And once we get all the baggage on the table, well, then the perceived difficulty of a corporation sort of fizzles a bit. So let me start unloading the baggage. So in many states, corporations have a statutory obligation to file an annual report to designate officer positions like president, treasurer, or secretary and statutory obligation to draft bylaws. This can, yeah, sure, this can be perceived as burdensome. Like nobody likes to be told what to do. And this is, you know, statutory obligation. So you can imagine, you know, mother and son and brother sitting around a table playing a game of not it, like, no, not it, not the president. You know, you be the treasurer. Come on, no, you be the secretary. Like who wants, who wants those additional obligations? But at the same time, it is, the positions are there for a reason. They are there to help us remember our obligations. We are supposed to keep meeting minutes just to verify that we did indeed talk about such and such. Um, we are uh, supposed to um, file our annual reports and make sure that someone is, is uh, taking care of that obligation. As for the bylaws, this is a huge opportunity. It is an opportunity to organize how the business will be run. You remember we were talking earlier between myself and Sally that if there's a decision that gets made on majority, maybe I make it myself if I have two-thirds ownership. What are those decisions that get made uh, on a majority vote? What decisions require unanimous approval? That's really an important thing for us to be discussing. So it's worth, uh, it's worth going through the process of appointing officers and writing really good bylaws because they help us prevent problems into the future. So bottom line is yes, people say that it's easier because you don't have to do these things. But at the end of the day, it might be easier to do those things because they create a smoother road, fewer problems for you. Yeah, for sure. We're more resilient if we do the things that are um, potentially burdensome. But if we think about what those officer positions are there to do, and if if those responsibilities include keeping up on governmental obligations, which the, I shouldn't have said if, they do involve keeping up with governmental obligations, the farm business is better off for keeping up with them. Um, so yeah, that's great, Rachel. Um, the that helps highlight the difference between a corporation and an LLC, but also highlighting the similarities because in an LLC, you in many states you don't have to write an operating agreement. It's not a statutory statutory <laughs> obligation, except in for a few states, and um, you 
don't have to appoint officers for an LLC. And I do think that that's what leads to producers feeling that the LLC is a quote unquote easier entity to form and have and manage. Um, but the LLC is more legally resilient for appointing officers, for setting meeting times and having a preset agenda and someone who's taken the minutes and having a system for distributing those minutes and also writing that operating agreement for setting forth how big decisions will be made and by whom and by what kind of vote, what kind of mechanism, whether it's majority vote, consensus, etc. There's really a lot of opportunity to get creative and um, when money is involved that opportunity to get creative is also kind of an, a requirement so if, if you know listeners if you're interested in attracting um, venture capitalists or angel investors or getting significant loans um, those those institutions or individuals will likely be very interested to see that you are going to be keeping up with your governmental obligations accounting responsibilities um, and, and running the business like a true business. Um, yeah, so, okay. Other distinctions that we should highlight, Rachel, before moving on to some of the other structures. No, we covered it, we covered it. The, the big distinction is you don't have to do the officers and the bylaws. So, so let's see. Um, in most other ways, the corporation and the LLC function very much the same. They both protect your personal assets from business liabilities, and you can expect the same coverage from both. So, yeah, we, you know, we covered that one. That's the, that's the big deal there. Cool. Okay. And then kind of like the elephant in the room, the taxation of the two. Can you share with us the differences between um, taxation for corporations and LLCs? Great question. Yeah, that usually is the elephant in the room. We're thinking that there's probably some taxation difference, but hey, I'm here to say it's not exactly true. The mechanics of filing your taxes as a corporation or an LLC can be different, or well, are different. Yes, the names of the taxes for the tax forms that are filed are different. You know, the exact procedure by which the tax payments by which the tax payments are made, particularly self-employment taxes, is going to be different. But at the end of the day, the out, they can achieve the same outcome. What is worth talking about at this point is this little thing called subchapter S, taxation. Subchapter S, taxation, is where we get the phrase S corporation. An S corporation is a corporation that files its taxes under subchapter S. A corporation can choose to be taxed under subchapter S, but also an LLC can. It's not the default for an LLC, but they can choose to be taxed as uh, un under subchapter S, or in another way to say it, they can choose to be taxed as an S corporation. So why would a farmer want to do that? A farmer would want to look into subchapter S when he or she is making more than the average farmer in personal income from farming. So the reason we want to look at this is that there's the opportunity for the overage, that being the amount of personal income from farming that is above the average, to be taxed as dividends rather than taxed as personal income. We might like that because dividend tax rates are sometimes less than personal income tax rates, but that varies. It's generally true, but it does depend on what is a current tax 
rates in, in force right now and on individual circumstances because this relates back to our personal income. So subchapter S, taxation, is actually a benefit to forming a business entity overall, whether a person chooses a, a corporation or an LLC. It's partnerships and sole proprietorships that can't do subchapter S. And so where a partnership is making more in personal income from farming than the average, at that point, they're going to have to convert their entity to be able to classify some of that overage as dividends. Now, that's a simple explanation, but there are more rules. There are rules that further clarify when a person, when a business is eligible for taxation under subchapter S. Things like you got to have fewer than 100 members. They all need to be natural people, which means not other corporations or LLCs in particular, but we got to talk to an accountant or tax preparer. These are decisions that need to be made on an individual level. And unless, unless the farmer comes to the table with professional training in accounting and tax prep, it's usually well worth the money to talk to um, an expert to help you understand, um, you know, when's the, when's the right time to look at this opportunity and what will you really gain from doing it. So I think that's a really good summary of the distinction between LLCs and corporations, both on the statutory obligations and in terms of their taxation at the IRS. And so at this point, I want to get back to something we talked about earlier, the idea of one member, one vote. So that's really the hallmark of the third option on our table today, and that's the cooperative. So Eva, I would love if you could tell us some more about the cooperative option. Yeah, Rachel, thanks. Thanks for closing us out on the overview of the blueprints for LLC and cooperation. Corporation. See, I'm already like ready to talk about the cooperative. <laughs> um, so yeah, I will. So I, I really do love uh, the concept of the cooperative model so much. Um, it's people organizing together to charter an official structure being the cooperative that's organized around a shared need and that's really a beautiful and hopeful thing especially in these pandemic times where we've seen that we are more resilient when we do organize together around shared needs such as food shelter um, access to health care um, and at the same time the the formation and management of a cooperative business structure is not for the faint of heart although all those good feelings tend to keep the momentum going uh, and cooperative history actually has pretty deep roots in United States agriculture, with some of the earliest cooperatives being formed in the 1800s. Um, we've got a New Jersey cheese manufacturing cooperative that formed in 1810, and moving on into Ohio, a hog marketing cooperative, um, a New York farm supply fertilizer cooperative, and uh, a fruit marketing cooperative in New Jersey in 1860, just to name a two. So they've, they've been around for some time. Um, maybe, I don't, I actually, it would be interesting to look into like, which has older roots, the corporation or the cooperative. Um, but yeah, during, during that time, we've also got uh, other innovative um, cooperative models with the first wool depots and irrigation cooperatives, as well as tobacco growers in both the north and the south building warehouses for storage so that producers could wait for better prices to sell their products. So um, cooperatives really are 
in the agricultural sense, farmers gathering together around a shared need being a need for their farm business to grow and be sustainable into the future, financially sustainable and solvent, um, and creating a business to meet that need. So it's this is pretty, pretty innovative work. And in all of those examples, um, more and more groups started beginning cooperatives, we see it in the healthcare industry as well. And so in the 1940s, um, we start to see the law catching up with what producers are doing. And so Congress passes the District of Columbia's cooperative law, which made it possible for any group in the United States to charter as a cooperative. Um, and then in 1993, Congress makes funds available for the Rural Cooperative Development Grant Program. And so we then get federal funding for cooperatives to form. So really, really exciting um, uh, uh, legal traction supporting the movement that farmers have been a part of for, for centuries. Um, but bringing it to today, to here and now for you listeners, in terms of the cooperative business structures blueprint, uh, here's, here's a little overview. Uh, like corporations, cooperatives are for-profit businesses, uh, but the difference is that they are governed on that principle that, that we've been echoing uh, of one member, one vote. And so what that means essentially is that each member gets equal vote regardless of the ownership percentage breakdown in the business. And so not that dynamic that Rachel was talking about with um, you know, if she contributes a larger asset to the business and Sally contributes a lesser one, Rachel gets more, more power in terms of decision making. That's not the case in a cooperative business structure. Um, and different states actually have diff detailed rules in terms of how that principle is fulfilled. And some states are considered easier uh, to form a cooperative in than others. So if, if you listeners out there are interested in pursuing the cooperative model, you'll definitely want to look into your state's cooperative statute. Um, but otherwise, most cooperatives start when a group of people come together with a shared need, and then they devise a strategy to, to meet that need. And so they pool their resources in order to implement. Um, and the cooperative then is organized really to serve its members who are needing to meet that, that need, um, for example, by offering discounts or leveraging special services. Um, I think a classic example in a farm related context is a grocery store food cooperative, the cooperative markets. Um, yeah, so forming a cooperative is slightly different than forming any other entity, which is why I kind of said it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, to start up, that group of initial members uh, will, will, will strategize how they can work together to address and resolve that need and like get it on paper. So they'll come up with a business plan that, that explores the feasibility of their cooperative strategy and put together a cost benefit analysis and then file the necessary paperwork in their state to officially form that cooperative entity, which is what renders that personal asset protection for the members. Uh, so the cooperative is formed by drafting and filing the articles of incorporation with the state, so similar to the corporation. And the next step is to write the cooperative bylaws. And so like the corporation, the bylaws are very important. They add to the to the cooperative blueprint by setting forth the membership terms, finances, how they'll be handled, board officers, admin, dissolution. Um, so if 
the cooperative decides to break apart and then also sets forth dispute resolution processes for when uh, disagreements arise, which, you know, when you get more than one person in the room, it's, it's oftentimes inevitable. A unique aspect of the cooperative business structure is something called the patronage refund. And um, that essentially means when the co-op makes a profit, those profits are then available to be distributed back to the members. And so that's part of the, the business mechanics. Um, and so the bylaws are, are set in place to set the ground rules for distributing or retaining those patronage refunds um, within the business. So profits generally are distributed based on each member's participation and use rate rather than percentage of ownership. So the more you participate, the more you earn. Um, and that's really different than the corporation where both voting and profit distribution to shareholders for the most part must be based on ownership percentage. So in terms of responsibilities, uh, there are some big ones. The biggest being there is significant accounting and financial responsibilities with the cooperative. So um, bottom line there is you'll need to retain a professional to help you out with this. So think tax preparer, tax attorney, um, and or a knowledgeable accountant. And uh, most state cooperative statutes also require them to hold an annual meeting. And this is that meeting is the time to review the program and business for the past year, elect officers, and also plan the next year's activities. Um, so the, the meeting should follow the protocol that set forth in the bylaws, again, why those bylaws are so important, for sending out meeting invites and conducting the meeting and also holding votes. So things to consider if you if your interest is piqued by the cooperative model, um, definitely drafting those bylaws. The cooperative is required to have them by state law. And uh, you're, of course, more resilient for setting forth those ground rules yourselves as the members um, and working with that knowledgeable tax attorney or accountant um, to better to like make sure you are doing the best to keep up with how those patronage dividends and refunds um, are managed. And uh, also a little tip here is that any earnings that the cooperative makes by selling goods or services to non-members, so folks who would not get patronage dividends or refunds, um, that income must be reported on the cooperative in income tax form. So we're already looking at two different streams of income and treated in two different ways. So what I'm saying here is it's complicated, um, but not impossible. So a, knowledge, a knowledgeable tax preparer is definitely a key ally here. Uh, another note, if you are interested in um, significant financing from investors, so if you are interested in it or you need it to really get off the, the business off the ground, this, this cooperative model could be at odds um, for your goals because the one member, one vote principle, while appealing to small farmers and local community members, bigger investors may choose to to invest their money in an LLC or a corporation um, where they can have more power. So, you know, lots to consider there depending on values and goals of, of your group. So the cooperative business may be for you if you and a group of peers are interested in resolving a shared need together. Um, in these days and times, land access is often a driving force for cooperative businesses starting up. Um, and that business is guided by the one member, one vote principle. 
and this is also for you if you're tolerant of significant paperwork requirements and annual formalities, as well as tons of accounting. <laughs> so those are our big three uh, business structure options on the table, um, the, the corporation, the LLC, and the cooperative. And if you are in the process of forming a business with other folks, we recommend working through Farm Commons' Choosing an Entity flowchart and also reading through the Farmer's Guide to Business Structures, focusing on the LLC, Corporation, and Cooperative Chapters. So we already have it all laid out for you. So those, are, those resources are available for free to Farm Commons members, and I will drop direct links to those resources into the show notes. So any parting words and wishes for our listeners, Rachel? Oh, uh, snag all the peaches and sweet corn while you can um, <laughs> and um, enjoy the bounty. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, happy summer, y'all. And thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. For more information on what you just heard, as well as a variety of farm law guides, models, checklists, flowcharts, and more, visit our website at farmcommons.org. You can also email us at info at farmcommons.org if you have any questions or comments about this podcast or any of our online materials. Thanks everyone for listening and keep on growing.